Okay, let's take God's word together and turn to Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 1. We've had a very profitable time together uh, on our prayer and fast, and uh, it is always profitable. I don't know why every church doesn't do this, um, particularly at the beginning of a year, and normally we try to do this a little earlier, but with a busyness of our schedule, uh, this was the best time for folks to be able to join in with us, um, but a very blessed time, and it needs to be done not just once a year, it needs to be done frequently throughout the year. And I think that if we don't do it, we're declaring that we don't really need the Lord. So it, it is crucial. Romans chapter 1, we'll read together the first 11 verses. And um, there are many benefits about having a, a united prayer and fast. I hope you pray and fast throughout the year. I hope you don't wait to fast until the one time a year that we do it together. But I hope you do it throughout the year. But there's something special about a united prayer and fast. And our brother James uh, recommended we read a chapter from Andrew Murray's book, With Christ in the School of Prayer. And it was very profitable. There were several things from that that encouraged us about the benefit of united prayer, gathering together. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 that if two or three are gathered together in my name, uh, if two, or, two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And uh, gathering together, well, we can't really claim that if we don't gather together for prayer. Now, I know the context of that is dealing with trying to make things right with a brother, but Jesus makes it clear, anything, agreeing together about anything, so that gathering together and then that agreeing, we sat around together after we read that chapter and we tried to discuss some things we could agree on in prayer. That's important because not everything everybody prays you can agree on. But there are some things that we could agree on and one of them is what we're going to talk about this evening. And uh, we decided we'd study the book of Romans but we didn't get too far it's very, very challenging, but I'm okay with that, and I'll explain that in just a moment. We thought we had lofty ideas. We said Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews, and we never made it through the first chapter of Romans. But there's, that's okay, and I'll explain why in just a moment. But let's read together Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1 down to verse 11. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace, and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, 
whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. We'll stop our reading there this evening, and we believe God will bless the reading and the hearing of his word. I want you to notice that 11th verse. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. I've highlighted that last phrase, to the end ye may be established. And the title of tonight's message is that ye may be established. One of the things we agreed on in prayer is that we, the people of God in this local church, would agree and covenant together to be established in the word of God. One of the biggest famines, you've heard me say it over and over, the greatest famine in the world today is a famine of Bible teaching. A famine of the Word. It is a gruesome famine. And I say it's the worst famine because if you die in this famine, you are eternally dead. This is worse than any physical famine the world has ever known. And people's souls are starving. This book of Romans was written with the intention and purpose of establishing the people of God. One thing I love about prayers and our time of prayer and fasting is the time I get alone. It's hard to get time alone when you have seven children and, and a flock, a congregation, and uh, a Bible college you're involved in. It's hard to get time alone. Not like this anyways. That's why I like to travel. I like to be on an airplane, put in my headphones for, I didn't mind 14 hours. That was 14 hours when I couldn't move and I could read and study and, and uh, I enjoyed that. In the last three days were very profitable. I'd read through, I didn't read many books. I read through some books. And one of the little books I read was one by Horatius Bonner, a little booklet entitled Words to Winners of Souls. By the way, it's a book that every minister should own. I've ordered 35 copies already. Ten of them have already come, and I'll give them to all of our pastors and workers tomorrow. And then the other 20 I'm going to give, 25 I'll give to the students. And uh, I wish to give them as well to those who preach the word up and down this country for us. And uh, just the few first three chapters were enough to make you shake in your boots if you're a preacher of the gospel. Very convicting. And Bonner says something very interesting. One of the simple statements that shot like a bolt of electricity through my body when I read it was this. The object of the Christian ministry is to convert sinners and edify the body of Christ. Full stop. Now that's very simple. We should know that. The one 
objects of Christian ministry. Every time someone stands behind this pulpit or any other pulpit or stands on a box in the city center, the one object is either the conversion of souls or the edifying of the saints. There's nothing else. There's no room for Pilates, I'm sorry. There's no room for psychology, I'm sorry. The saving of souls and the edifying of the saints. When you start throwing in other things, you start getting distracted from the one thing God has given to us. Bonner went on to say, no faithful minister can possibly rest short of this. Applause, fame, popularity, honor, wealth, all these are vain. If souls are not one, if saints are not matured, our ministry itself is vain. Empty. And that's clearly the pattern that the Apostle Paul lived and taught. Look to save souls, build up the church. This is what Jesus lived. Look to save souls. I came not for the righteous, but sinners. I came to call sinners to repentance and build up, sat down and taught the disciples, opened the words of heaven to the disciples. This was the ministry. And this is the whole premise of the book of Romans. Now watch this for a second. This is amazing. If you understand this, it really opens your understanding about the whole book of Romans. It's quite an amazing book. And most people say, well, that's the deepest book in the Bible. That's what a lot of people say. It's so theologically rich and doctrinally broad and deep that many people say, it's, it's one of those things you feel like a child standing on a seashore with a bucket. You know, and trying to drain the ocean with one with a little bucket. That's how broad and deep this book is. But when you understand what Paul is trying to do in writing this letter, then it makes sense what we are to do with this letter. Paul says in verse number 11, I long to see you. He wanted to go to Rome. For what reason? Did he want to have a tea party? I'm not against tea parties. Did he want to have a couple's banquet? I'm not against couple's banquet. Why did he go? Why did he want to go to Rome? Look what he says. I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Now, what is he on about? Some people have imagined that he wanted to maybe lay hands and impart the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that's what he's talking about because these were already believers. I don't believe that he was going to impart the gifts of the Spirit I'll tell you why, because I believe he explains what spiritual gift he's referring to here. Although he did lay hands on people and they did receive the Spirit. Although he did impart spiritual gifts, this is not... Well, actually, he didn't impart spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit did that. But this is not what he's referring to. What he's referring to is clearly defined in the same verse. I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. Whatever gift Paul was wanting to impart to them was to establish them. And so the rest of this letter, because he couldn't go and impart that gift in person, he writes to impart it through the letter. That's what this is all about. All 16 chapters of Roman are a gift from God, which were originally intended for the church at Rome, for God to use Paul to impart a spiritual gift to Rome, and God in His mercy preserved it for you and I for 2,000 years. So the same spiritual gift 
that Paul would have imparted to them in person, but he did it instead through letter, can be imparted to you and I. Isn't that amazing? That now, whatever it is that Paul was going to give them, it can be given to us. Now, I love this. What you actually have in the book of Romans is a discipleship package. It's amazing. Uh, Lloyd-Jones said it's really a synopsis of all of Paul's teachings. There are two phrases. We'll look at them in just a moment. Two phrases in the first 11 uh, verses of chapter 1. Verse number 1, Paul says, I'm called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. And then in verse number 9, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. It's a one and the same thing. But what he's about to impart unto them, the spiritual gift comes under the banner and in the treasure chest of the gospel. Everything from chapter 1 to chapter 16 falls beneath the banner of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's amazing. It's remarkable. But to think for a second, I've got written down here, somebody once told me and I wrote it down, that it only takes about an hour to read the book of Romans. Now, do not be so foolish as to think in an hour you can get all that's in it. Paul's writing a synopsis. He's writing, he's summarizing what he would have taken 18 months to three years to teach the church. When he was at Ephesus, nearly three years he taught them. When he was at Corinth, 18 months he taught them. So he didn't, he didn't stand up for one hour and spew out the book of Romans and bada bing, bada boom, that was it, and go on his merry way. He took three years to teach and instruct and explain these rich truths that are recorded in one book. So do not think that you can study the book of Romans in a couple of hours or even a couple of days and get the whole gist of it. It would have taken Paul years to explain what has been recorded in 16 chapters. Some people say, I, 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 uh, I read Lloyd, somebody said to Lloyd-Jones one time, I wonder when you get to heaven and you see the Apostle Paul, I wonder if he's going to say, I can't believe you got that much out of my, my book of Romans. Because if you know, uh, Lloyd-Jones preached for months, years on the book of Romans and his, his uh, commentary, I don't know how many volumes it is, but it's about like that. In fact, any commentary on the book of Romans, you'll know, is a long commentary. Why? Because they've under, people have come to understand that this is, this is more than just words. There's such depth and, and width to what's found in this that it takes a lot of time tracing through the pages of scriptures back and forth and understanding what Paul is saying. And so should we. And this is, this is what I'm trying to say tonight. That the one, one of the things that's missing in the world today, in the Christian world today, is the establishing of the saints on the pure teaching of God's word. Plus nothing, minus nothing. Not adding an opinion or an idea. The pure teaching of God's holy word. What an amazing opportunity that God has given us. I would, wouldn't you have loved to sat beneath the teaching of Paul in Ephesus? Yes. Nearly three years? Would you have not loved to sat beneath this, beneath this teaching for 18 months when he instructed the Corinthian church? I'd, I'd have loved to have been there. But I can. Amen. I can with this book, which is exactly precisely what he would have taught 
from church to church, from city to city. It's remarkable. But the problem is we say, ooh, that's a little bit too deep for me. Give me one of those shorter books. I like the book of Jude. And we are robbing ourselves. And because of this one mentality, we're a lazy generation. And because of this, we will not be established. One of the biggest indictments on Christianity as a whole today is that we don't know what we believe and we don't know where we stand. And that's why Christian Christians are being blown about by every wind of doctrine. That's why denominations are being added every year after year after year and more opinions are being added and, 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 and believers are going from one place to the next. There are people who used to worship here who are now at a Seventh-day Adventist church across town. There are people who used to worship here that are some other cult because they are not and were not established in the truth. Part of that's my fault. And those who stand behind this pulpit, we must establish the people of God. And there's only one thing that does it. The Word of God. Nothing else will establish you. The word established means to strengthen you, build you up, make you secure. Let me give you a few verses. Look at John chapter 17. This is not a new concept. John 17, Jesus actually praying to God the Father, says in verse number 17, verse 16 of, of uh, John, pardon me, I'm looking at the wrong book. John 17 and verse number 15, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. You know what to sanctify means? To be made holy. To be set apart. You will never, you and I will never achieve the sanctification that God desires for us unless it is done by his word sanctify them. Jesus praying to the Father. God, he's praying to his Father. Would you sanctify them through thy truth? Thy word is truth. Not my word, not anybody else's word, but the word of Almighty God. That sanctifies you. That cleanses you. It washes you. It sets you apart. It makes you different. Peter says the same thing. I love this. Look at this with me, please. 2 Peter chapter 3, and, and Peter recognizes the depth of some of Paul's writings and the importance of it. Now, this is very important. I want you to actually turn there with me if you've got a Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3 is toward the end of the, of the Scriptures, just before those three letters of John. 2 Peter chapter 3, and Peter is talking about the end, the last days, by the way. He's talking about the coming of our Savior. The context of this is about the, the coming of our Savior, the, the melting of the elements, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. That's quite a frightening thought, isn't it? It's quite a majestic thought that at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that mountains will melt. Think about that. Seeing then, but verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night and the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Here's what he's saying. Look, everything around you, look here, everything around you is going to be absolutely blown to smithereens. 
That ought to make you live differently. That ought to make you live entirely differently. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Can you imagine seeing that? Heavens on fire? Heavens on fire? Elements melting with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing, wherefore, because of these things, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, watch this, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, how's that going to happen? Now, look. Do you believe this, what you've just read? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is coming again and that when he comes, all that you see will be destroyed? Yes. Then, then why don't we live more like it? And seeing that and knowing, seeing that we look for such things, we're looking for a coming Savior and for new heavens and a new earth. Seeing that you look for such things, we ought to be diligent. Be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now watch this. This is beautiful. This is where that goal of salvation and edification comes in. Jesus hasn't come yet. There are more souls to be saved. To be rescued. That ought to move you to tremble and urgency and passion and zeal. Knowing that the heavens will be on fire. The elements shall melt. We ought, it ought to light a fire beneath us to go. And to make sure that we're established. Now watch what he says. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So he's referring to the writings of Paul. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Now watch this. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Now catch this for a moment. Peter says this. There are people who are very unstable in the Christian world. And the reason they're unstable is because they're unlearned. Doesn't mean they didn't go, doesn't mean they didn't go to university. When he says unlearned, he doesn't mean they didn't go to Oxford University or go off to some other Oxford Brooks University. Doesn't mean that they're uneducated, unlearned in the things concerning those things which are to happen, those things which are to come. And they don't know the scriptures because they're hard. They're hard to be understood. And rather than taking the time to study them and understand them, they're happy to be unlearned and thus unstable. And in their instability, they wrestle the scriptures to make them what they're not saying to their own destruction. And this is the day we find ourselves in now. Men wrestling, resting, twisting the scriptures. Look, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. And that is dangerous. That is dangerous. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also 
the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace. You know what he's saying? Same thing Paul said. Be established. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Look, if we're not learned and established in the scriptures, I'm not talking about being uh, some, some educated intellectual person that you're so high, high in the sky, your nose is pointed up, you think you're better. I'm not talking about that. Knowledge puffeth up, but knowledge and grace. Peter says knowledge and grace grow in grace and knowledge. Grace keeps you humble. Knowledge keeps you steadfast. You need both. And look, we, we act like the word doctrine's a bad word. Doctrine's what you believe. If you don't, if we don't do doctrine around here, then you don't do belief around here. You don't do Bible around here. You are therefore like Paul wrote in another place, carried about, blown about by every wind of doctrine, carried about by the slate and cunningness of men and craftiness of man because you don't know what you believe. Paul writes to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. The word of his grace can build you up. Now, how strong? Now, look here. Let's do a little self-evaluation. How established are you on this book? One of the worst things, and I, and I, I count myself to a degree in this, I believe I'm, I'm learning. One of the worst things is that we pump out people from Bible colleges all over the world who don't even know this book. And they don't know the God of this book. That was one of the things Horatius Bonner said. If you don't know the God of this book, and I think this is what Paul is saying when he says in Romans chapter 1, look what he says in verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. The work of a minister and a Christian servant ought to be spirit work. Spiritual work. So this is not just intellectualism. This is not just, you know, hey, by the way, you can't study with man's wisdom the pages of God's Word. You can't study the Scriptures simply and merely uh, with a magnifying glass and, 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 and merely intellectually. It's got to be spiritual. This book is deeply spiritual. Otherwise, you've got to, atheists study the Word of God and don't get anything out of it. Did you ever read the Word before you were converted? And thought, what good is it? I can't understand it. I don't get anything out of it. Doesn't make sense to me. And when God, by His grace, opened your eyes, and then the pages of Scripture begin to open up to you, you say, where, where did that come from? Because it's spiritual. Now ask yourself, right now, where you sit, how established are you in this book? How grounded are you? It's my dream... It's my new dream that these children would know this book better than you and I. The day would be raised up as future, if the Lord Jesus doesn't come back in the next few years, that these children would be raised up to be the best expositors of this book that the world has ever seen. Amen. 
and that they would do it in spirit and in truth. Sometimes we bounce back and forth in human history. We go from extreme intellectualism in regards to the pages of Scripture and then extreme mysticism. There's got to be a balance somewhere where we take, we use the intellectual faculties God has given us to understand this book, but we also recognize without the Holy Spirit, there is no understanding. It's got to be that careful balance. And there are some men whom God blessed throughout the pages of human history that had that balance. And they were chosen of God to expound the word in such a way that people sat up when they preached. Paul was one of them. That's why he said, I want to impart unto you some spiritual gift. He knew he had a power that not many men had. He had an authority that not many men had. He had an ability, and he knew it. He spoke often, when I came to you, I came not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And he wasn't ashamed of it. He knew God had given him some heaven-sent power to preach the word in clarity and truth so that people received it and the truth was imparted. Now, if we don't have that, we're wasting time. Look, can I just say, some of you, if you preach the word, I want you to look this way. If you preach the word, Dylan, if you preach the word, I want you to look this way. No one ought to ever stand in a pulpit and open the word without that power. Without that power. Otherwise, it's wasted breath. Anyone can stand up and give a sermon. Anyone. Sometimes I think Micah can preach a better sermon than me. Anyone can write a sermon, but not just anyone has that authority or that power. That's why Paul says in his opening words that he was called. Now, I want to say something. I want to say it very clearly. We are living in a day. We're living in a a generation of Christianity that is trying to rip down the call of God on a man. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. We try to push people into positions because they are, they have studied the word and they have some understanding of the word and in pushing people in positions and making them, making them all on the same level playing field, you've removed the call of God. But a man must be called of God and empowered of God. Now I'm not saying that we necessarily have the same apostolic power that the apostle Paul had, but there is an unction given by God. There is an unction that should be given by God and people know it when they hear it and they knew it when Paul had it. Paul would stand. That's why people would listen. Horatius Bonner says the same thing. It's amazing how you study, study things and God begins to bring things into your mind and heart that you didn't really think about before and they come from every angle. Bonner said, look, if we, it, the evidence that a man has the power and the call of God upon his life would be the saving of souls and the edifying of the body. That's the evidence. And that's what we must do here. It must be done. And and however much it has been neglected in the past 13 years of the history of this church, may God help us to redeem the time. And to win back the years that the locusts have eaten. Now, this all takes time. Time. People want to rush ahead and start doing this and doing that. Hold on, it takes time to be established in the word. People say, well, I like, I like Romans chapter 8. You know, why don't you get on to that? that? That'll establish me. Romans chapter 8, that famous passage of Scripture about uh, being, being loved by the Lord. I love it as well, by the way. I quote it often. 
For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's, that's establishing truth. Look here for a second. You don't get that without the first eight chapters. And sometimes we want to rush by the things that are being built upon to give us these truths. We must be established in the word. We must. Paul labors for eight chapters to lay the groundwork that allows him to say, I am persuaded. And so must we lay the groundwork so that we can say with confidence and assurance. Otherwise, here's what we do. We throw verses like this out at people. I'm doubting my salvation. Hey, don't worry because I'm persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels. And you know what you've done? You've cheated the person. You've robbed them. You're throwing out verses like candy and hoping that it's going to be like a band-aid over their sore. But what they really know, need to know are the first eight chapters that teach them of the love of Christ, the love of God, the call of God on their life and all of these things that assure them of who they are in Christ. Then they can say, I, now I'm persuaded. Yes. Now I'm persuaded. But you can't skip the first eight chapters. Paul had power. And all of this, by the way, uh, here's, we've made the mistake, and I've been guilty of this. First year I came to Oxford, the, the theme verse that we use in planting the church was, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I made the mistake of thinking that that statement was it. That when Paul said, look, it's the gospel and the gospel alone. I, I, in my mind, thought, well, that just means Jesus died for me, was buried and rose again. That's the gospel. The gospel is more than just that. That's part of it. The gospel encompasses all the theology of Christ dying, being buried and risen again, and all that took place. Redemption, atonement, regeneration, sanctification, all that comes beneath the banner of the gospel. And that's why Paul says in the opening verses of Romans chapter 1, the gospel of God, the gospel of his son, because all that you find in these 16 chapters is the gospel. It's all good news. It's all good news. In fact, he says it in many other ways. Let me give you a few verses. Romans chapter 11, he explains it like this, just in case you're not quite persuaded. Romans 11 verse 33. How about this verse? Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now that doesn't sound like simple, shallow truth to me, does it you? What about what he says in the book of Ephesians? In fact, Ephesians, he writes about this many times. Let me give you a couple of little snapshots. Ephesians 1 verse 7, he says this, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now look, we, we treat the gospel like there's a few coins in it. There's one coin he died, one coin buried, one coin rose again, three coins. That's not the riches of his grace, my friend. The riches of his grace take time to open the scriptures. Now, I'm not saying you've got to know all that to be saved. Not at all. Very simple. All you've got to know is that you're, you're dead and lost and on your way to hell. And if God doesn't step in, you will perish and be damned eternally. And then know that Jesus died for your sins. That's all you need to know to be saved. But after that, if you're only content to know that, then there's something wrong. I doubt whether or not you're really saved. 
Man, when you're in, and you begin to realize, hold on a moment, there's some things I'd never found before, never heard before, some riches I never knew before. Chapter 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Exceeding riches. Look, I, I, I was poor in spirit when the Lord found me. I hope I'm growing wealthy now in spirit. I hope that I'm understanding and gleaning from the riches that are found in Jesus Christ. And again, one last verse in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 8. Paul says this, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the gospel. What else would he be preaching to the Gentiles? But the gospel, which is called the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now we have got to recognize that this gospel message we have is amazing and powerful and deep and wide. Sometimes we sing with the children, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Well, there is, and that's the riches of his grace. We got to learn it, dive into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. What's this? Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's all in Christ. That's the gospel. In him. Wisdom. Wouldn't you like to have more wisdom? Especially in this day. Look, in this day when they're, when they're telling four-year-olds in Scotland that they can change their gender at school without their parents even knowing about it. In this day when a woman is arrested in Swindon for praying in her head outside of an abortion clinic. Wouldn't you like to have wisdom? Yes. We have to be established friends. If you aren't established, then you're going to be swept away. Wisdom. Righteousness. By the way, there ought to be a righteousness in us that stirs up when we hear things like this. That wells up within us. A righteous indignation that says that is wrong. It's wrong. And sanctification to be made more like our Savior. To be more holy and redemption. Understanding the depth of Christ's blood that was shed for us. The purchase of, of His possession which is our soul's. We ought to grow in this. Learn it. That's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, for all you preachers out there, be ready. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. What's preach the word mean? Is it just the expression of Christ dying on the cross for our sins? That's, that's just the, that's the very beginning. Preach the word. Reprove. Rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's what it means to preach the word. And we've only just begun to scratch the surface. I said all that to say this. We need to be established. We need to be rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word more today than ever before. Uh, Joff gave us a little illustration. I'll share with this with you in closing. His father told a story, I've heard it before, that those who are, who are experts in, in discovering fake money, those who are, they are, their job is to look and see whether, whether money is a, is a false reproduction. 
they don't study the false printing of money. They study the real deal. Because there are so many versions of a fake note, of a misprinted note. There's so many, you couldn't possibly study all the fakes. So they study the real deal. Smell it, examine it, feel it over and over and over and over again. So that by the time a counterfeit comes across the table, they spot it with ease. And that's what you and I need to do. But put the Quran down, put the Book of Mormon down, and study this. Study this. Well, but I'm going to study, I want to study that religion and study this. But you do that and you watch yourself be drifted away. You study this so that the first time something comes up that's contrary to this, something in your ear says, whoa! The first time a man gets up with a suit and a tie on behind a pulpit, even this pulpit, and he says one thing that's out of place, something in your spirit says, whoa, whoa! Because some spiritual gift has been imparted unto me to the end that I'm established. And I know that's wrong. But you'll never be able to do that if you don't know this book. May God establish us. By the way, that bores people. That bores people. This doctrine bores people. They don't want to, they want to be entertained. They want to be tickled. Something that makes them feel good. It bores people. They're looking at their watch, can't wait to get out. Doctrine though, those who really want the truth of God's word, that's like music in their ears when the word of God is proclaimed. May God make us like this and establish us. Let's pray together and we'll sing our last hymn. Father, help us. We confess unto thee there have been many sermons wasted, many lectures given without any depth or without any purpose or meaning, and I am guilty. And I pray, Lord, that whatever time we have left, that we may give it to the saving of souls and the establishing of the believer. Help us, we pray, to be more diligent, more urgent in our gospel proclamation and more diligent and more urgent in our teaching of doctrine. Help us, we pray. Help us not to waste time, but instead, Lord, may we redeem the time, knowing that the days are evil. Help us, we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.